Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay warm at the Horseshoe this season. Score an exclusive, officially licensed Ohio State scarf when you subscribe to the Columbus Dispatch. Get the planet's best Buckeye coverage, award-winning reporting, and one amazingly cozy scarf by subscribing at dispatch.com slash scarf. This promotion is licensed by the Ohio State University. Trademarks used with permission. Columbus is growing. Here at the Dispatch, we wanted to take a step back and look at what all this growth means. This program will explore the future of Columbus and Central Ohio. This is What's Next. Welcome back to another episode of the CBUS Next podcast, where we are exploring the future of Columbus. I'm Michelle Everhart, the digital news editor for the Dispatch. This week, we are talking with Jim Weicker and Terry Fogler from the city of Dublin about the uh, area's Bridge Street project. This is Jim Weicker. I write about housing for the Columbus Dispatch. I'm here today with Terry Fogler, the director of strategic initiatives for the city of Dublin. We're here to talk about Bridge Street. If you haven't been by 161 or Riverside Drive in the city of Dublin, you're in for a shock. The area is being transformed. Terry, uh, you oversee the development for the city. Tell us before we talk about why uh, Bridge Street is being developed, what is Bridge Street? Bridge Street District uh, is, uh, was a vision, it is now actually a plan that's getting implemented for the city that includes about 1,000 acres in the core of the city. That's about 6% of our land area. Uh, and the vision for that district is that it become a very dense, urban, mixed-use, walkable environment, very different from historical development patterns in Dublin, to kind of create a new urban walkable core for the city. And what are the boundaries, roughly, of Bridge Street? Generally, that 1,000 acres uh, is bounded on the north by I-270, on the east by Sawmill Road, and on the south by 161, including the properties that front along that south side of 161. And the core of of that neighborhood you described is right at 161 and Riverside Drive. There's been all kinds of construction activity there over the last year or so. What what are we seeing right now that going up there, and what what has changed there? Sure. Well, I think you know historically that core was uh, Dublin Road and 161, which is the historic village center. So this kind of next generation, 21st century version, uh, really builds on that existing village core that's been there for over 100 years. So what you see today is really the the initial almost signature project, but early phase developments within the Bridge Street District, very much aligned with the planning that kind of informed it before it began, and literally millions of square feet of new mixed-use development uh, is is moving forward, a series of public infrastructure projects, uh, some of which help support that project, all of which help advance other city objectives are being constructed in that area. So that at the end of the day, the, the hope is that you're going to have a very dynamic mix of many, many units of housing, both rental and condominium, a uh, significant amount of new office development. Uh, all the parking is either on street or structured. Uh, lots of new restaurants and retail and professional services to support those uses. Lining a new roadway and a river park that will be located along both sides of the Sion River. 
Dublin does have, as you just mentioned, a downtown, a historic downtown. This is designed to connect with that mm-hmm. um, and, and expand upon it. In the future, can you describe uh, the environment that will be in sort of the heart of, mm-hmm. of Dublin? Yeah. Well, I think what you see emerging today is going to be a, is a real good reflection of what we hope that future would be. Um, I think it's important to distinguish it between maybe a town center model of retail development, which is kind of more of a shopping center form. Uh, this is mainly about housing. Uh, on there. People will live there. It's real neighborhoods, but has the mix of uses that can really support that neighborhood, that can capture, for example, trips internally so that folks can live there, work there, go out to eat, recreate on the park areas. You're going to have streets that are built to a very high level quality. You see granite curbs and brick sidewalks and kind of distinctive features to create a very strong public realm. You're seeing very high quality private buildings being built uh, by Crawford Hoeing with engaging storefronts and street front activity virtually along all those buildings uh, on there uh, and a significant amount of office development which is actually going to be expanding because the demand for that has been very strong. Uh, you're going to see residents there that reflect everything from empty nesters to young professionals and probably a lot of what's in between uh, on that. You want it to be a very dynamic neighborhood that's active many hours of the day, that captures many of the trips that normally we get in cars to do in a typical suburban environment. In fact, our, we're projecting 40% of the trips will eventually be captured within the Bridge Street District with an extraordinary series of public amenities like parks and pedestrian bridges and other elements like that that will serve the entire city, but also create even a higher quality of life for this portion of Dublin. And when that is done, how many people roughly might live in in the heart of Bridge Street? Uh, Well, when Bridge Street is completed, in terms of what its holding capacity is on that 1,000 acres, uh, we've heard, I think, some of the – it obviously depends on densities and heights of buildings, and, and, and there's many things that would have to happen before total build-out would occur, obviously. But probably something in the neighborhood of 8,000 units of housing could be sustained in that district. I think in the near term, you're going to see something in the 1,000 to 1,200, 1,300 units probably coming online and be rented within the next 24 months. And we people who go by that area, it seems like it's changed overnight, but obviously this took a long time of preparation. What all had to happen uh, to making this a reality? Well, the visioning process started in uh, late 2009, early 2010. Uh, I joined the city as city manager at that point. And because of all of the changing drivers for development and economic competitiveness that were confronting Dublin, we used uh, kind of those understandings, those analysis, guest speakers and others to facilitate a discussion about Dublin's future, being competitive in the future, uh, what did it mean in terms of housing and infrastructure and those kinds of concerns. Uh, city Council had just visited Greenville uh, in the Carolinas, seen some other cities that were doing some things with their downtown areas, the rivers, bridges and other kind of elements. A lot of concern on economic development. How do we keep our suburban uh, office park kind of legacy space competitive. We have a lot of empty nesters that are aging that want to stay in Dublin. We don't have housing product for them. We interviewed HR directors of many of our corporations, many of whom were saying the biggest challenge confronting them going forward is attracting and retaining young talent. Uh, and we were very concerned we didn't have housing and work environments, entertainment environments that met those. All those fed a planning process that, that eventually led us to conclude the Bridge Street District 
with its redevelopment sites and uh, assets and other public infrastructure projects that were likely needed there could be very supportive of that kind of redevelopment. So it started with a vision. The vision was tested through fiscal impact studies, transportation studies, utility studies. New zoning regulations were crafted, form-based codes and others to facilitate all of these items. Uh, agreements were worked out with the school district partnerships, so we had the incentive structures needed to help fund parking structures and other things that were critical to unleashing this kind of project. And once those tools got in place and kind of completed, by 2013, 2014, then projects were ready to move forward in a timely fashion. And they've occurred much more quickly, obviously, than we ever could have anticipated. Were there any specific models that you had in mind, any other cities you mentioned, I think Greenville, um, other projects that mm -hmm. you thought, this is what we want this to look like? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's bits and pieces of lots of different projects around the country, and, and this phenomenon in a suburban environment, uh, the main places it's happening is happening where transit and transit corridors are creating these kinds of stops uh, for this kind of mixed-use development. This is somewhat unusual to have this kind of density, this kind of development outside of that transit-driven model. We do think it makes it much more transit uh, serviceable in the long term, but we brought in designers and planners and, and talked to developers. Uh, Chris Leinberger was one of the speakers we brought in who's uh, with the Brookings Institute who studies all of these things that are occurring around the country, along with many other uh, consultants that we engaged along the way, brought in Nelson Nygaard that really focuses on these kind of urban contexts and urban settings, brought in the folks that help draft regulations in these kind of environments. So we looked at a variety of those around. I haven't found anything that I would say is very similar to this. It's quite unique in a lot of ways. I think the scale of it, um, the nature of it's kind of a housing-driven model, but still has so many of the other use components that you want to achieve, the level of structured parking, the fact that we're building so much of the grid from scratch, and you see lots of those pieces of the grid coming in, which is a very important piece of the urban framework that kind of has to start from scratch, uh, that has to interconnect to all kinds of future road systems. There's a lot of elements of it that I think are, are, are very unique. We have worked hard also to try to mesh the public infrastructure needs with the city of the city with the kinds of private development opportunities that were emerging so that those things would reinforce each other in a, in a really strong way. So there's lots of different you know, models that you'll see. Most of them are built around more transit-oriented development forms that you'll see around uh, Dublin to be as quintessentially suburban and not have a strong transit, transit component. It's quite unique. We, I wanted to return to the question of housing. Um, we've, we have a description uh, of Bridge Street in a project uh, that we've done for CBUS Next on the future of housing. Tell me why you see this as important for housing um, and the future of housing in Dublin. Sure. What role does it play? Yeah. Well, we are confronting so many changes in the things that drive development. That's going to be housing, that's going to be retail, that's going to be hotels, that's going to be all forms of office developments. Demographics are one big piece of that. We kind of know what's happening with, uh, with the millennials. We know what's happening with the aging uh, of the baby boomers. Uh, you, you got, still have 65 million baby boomers who are aging, downsizing, moving into smaller properties, seeking other kind of options. You've got 80 million millennials entering the job market, entering the housing market. You've got different tastes and desires in work environments, you know, kind of for those elements going forward. Recent projections that Insight 2050 did for the region noted that over 80% of the growth in households is one- and two-person households without kids. That need is not going to be met primarily by four-bedroom, single-family detached homes. That's going to be met by something different that's smaller. 
overwhelming majority of that is empty nester. Uh, so what are the needs of that aging population in terms of services and walkability and what are they seeking? Uh, and I think the notion, too, to keep the legacy office space competitive, you're going to have to have environments where young talent wants to live and be and work uh, on there. So the, the, the largest response that you're seeing, obviously in Columbus, you're seeing you know tremendous amount of infill of apartment development in these walkable urban locations. The suburban models are beginning to evolve. Most of them are still smaller kind of units that are heavily amenitized with these other kind of uh, uh, uses and activities around them. The challenge is they're still, still hitting a high price point. And there, there's obviously affordability issues and stuff going forward. But in terms of the basic market demand, the number of folks who are aging in Dublin who would like to stay in Dublin and, need, and will be seeking other kind of options, as well as our 70,000 people that work in Dublin uh, and companies that have to be able to attract and retain young talent going forward who need housing options for those folks, but they simply didn't exist, uh, is why you're seeing this very significant amount of apartments geared towards those two demographics. You're starting to see more condominium product happen hand in hand with that. In addition to the housing, uh, what we see right now, which is actually called Bridge Park. I, yeah, I, Bridge I Park is the signature uh, development. Right. Uh, what other um, uses will we see there? I think there's a hotel there. Yep. There's a, a pins, which yep. is a lot of fun. Yeah, I think you're seeing, uh, I mean, food, to, that, that's one thing that probably is comparable to uh, to what you're seeing in a lot of uh, town center kind of retail models is food is becoming the anchor. Uh, and I think Crawford Hoing says in both their east and west side pieces of Bridge Park, they have 10 or 11 uh, food venues that are kind of coming online. So that's a very major major part of kind of the destination aspect of that. The AC Hotel uh, coming online in, in early September, I think, is an extraordinary asset for the city, especially when you consider the event center that uh, Cameron Mitchell will be operating adjacent to that. Uh, it's going to be our biggest venue within the city for those kind of events. So everything from the corporate purposes that it can serve to the large weddings and other kind of special events that it can serve, uh, all of that will bring more activity to that area, to that region, and feed the restaurants, feed the vitality, support uh, kind of the goals of, of that district. Uh, office development, uh, in fact, the next phases of the project that are coming in, they're proposing uh, one building that has five levels of office. They're adding another level of office to one of the other buildings. Uh, one that had been apartments, now the upper floors are going to be condominiums because that demand is coming through very strong. Uh, uh, so we're seeing a lot of stuff that's responding to the market uh, as this stuff is coming online. What do you think other suburbs in central Ohio and beyond can learn from Bridge Street? And a related question, is this uh, replicable mm -hmm. in, elsewhere yeah. in central Ohio? Uh, obviously, there are many aspects of what Dublin does and can do that are somewhat unique because Dublin is so well positioned from a you know, from a fiscal perspective and, and its uh, workforce that works in Dublin that helps uh, produce a lot of income tax revenue. But, yes, I think that if you think through the process of what are the opportunities, if you think through what planning is supposed to do, which is where our demographics taking us, where our market dynamics taking us, how do we respond to that? This is really a lot of what Insight 2050 has been about. How do you create the kind of environments that are going to be increasingly desirable for these emerging and growing demographics within the context of whether it's a, uh, a rural county seat or a more distressed urban neighborhood uh, or, or a thriving suburb. Um, the tools may get used a little bit differently, the developments that occur, but the fact that they are denser, more compact, more mixed use, 
less purely auto-centric in terms of how they are served are principles that can apply to all of these elements here. I think I saw in the paper the other day the reference to the study done for the City of Columbus on the use of its incentives. It was trying to figure out where and how these things get applied. And it did conclude, for example, when you have to build parking structures, you need some pretty good incentives to make that happen. We can't charge people $400 a month to park. That just doesn't work in Central Ohio. So if that's one of the things that we have to make happen, we got to find really creative financial tools to make that happen. But I think the approaches that Dublin took, the process that Dublin took, uh, and then each community looking at itself to figure out, okay, where do those opportunities exist? What are we in a position to do? How do we partner with our school system to make these things happen? If the majority of this housing doesn't have kids, how can we do things that add value to the rest of our real estate base kind of going forward? I think the process, the regulatory tools, the assessments, the planning that drives it is what developers are looking for. If you talk to Crawford Hoying, They'll indicate today, I want a community that's got its act together in terms of knowing what it wants to make happen and what it's willing to do to help make that happen. I think that's true of most developers. And one final question about the location. This was built, uh, at least the Bridge Park, on a uh, uh, an old uh, commercial site. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look around central Ohio, especially given the struggles that retail is having, there you can, it's not hard to find these sites. Yep. Um even even some nearby uh, where you guys are. Do you see those sites as in oftentimes well-suited for this kind of mixed-use, large-scale development? I, I think that's, that's the gem. Um, it started, even this came to our attention increasingly when Arthur Nelson did his study for Central Ohio a few years ago for the uh, uh, National Resource Defense Council, uh, Environmental Defense Council, and he uh, indicated that if you look at Uh, what's likely to happen just with the aging out and obsolescence of those retail centers, how well located they are along corridors, well served they are with infrastructure, transit, and other kind of items. And I think you see Morpsey right now as it looks at its next phase of Insight 2050, where I think you're going to see a focus on looking at corridors and what can happen within those corridors. Those redevelopment opportunities I think are going to occur in many places as a result of obsolescent retail centers and other kinds of development to create great redevelopment sites. And one final question, since our project looks forward 20 years, what uh, will people see in Bridge Street in 20 years, you expect? Well, in 20 years, um, many uses and activities will continue to be there. Uh, I mean, Wendy's headquarters will hopefully still be there. OCLC will still be there. But for those sites that lend themselves to infill, in some cases redevelopment due to obsolescence, I think you're going to see a lot more of this kind of uh, urban mixed-use development. It may not be as dense. Uh, the, the project that Casto has built, Taller Flats, coming online. Uh, again, a very urban concept. Uh, it, in the district, but not near the mixing of uses or density, but still adding very much to the walkability and the kind of connectivity. You will see a lot more of that. I think if the market validates the concept with the rents and the densities and desire and the activity and the restaurants, the other things work, you're obviously going to see more desire to be around there. That's going to raise the threshold for redevelopment, and I think you'll see significantly more mixed-use urban development occur in the Bridge Street District. Well, great, Terry. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for another episode of CBUS Next Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at cbusnext at dispatch.com. You can send us um, feedback on our feedback form at cbusnext.com, or you can use the hashtag cbusnext. Next week, we will be exploring the neighborhoods of Old Town East and Franklinton and how those two neighborhoods are growing differently and what the future holds for them. 
just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.